Well, good morning. How's everybody today? Good, good. Well, I am glad you're here. We have some things to talk about, and Kidmo, you guys can leave. Uh, if you're a guest and you have a second through fifth grader, Kidmo is a place that they can have their own time of teaching, small group games, things that they do back there. You're welcome to take your kids and pick them up when we're done in here. Uh, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 6 and 7 today. Uh, we're going to be spending the next two to three weeks in the story of Noah. Um, just before we jump into this, we, I just want to give you an update. We had a great time yesterday at Orchard Park Church. Uh, several of, of our folks came and uh, joined us for worship there, uh, and it was an experience, let me tell you. I, uh, I think I'm going to go back um, every Saturday. It was pretty exciting, uh, but it was a lot of fun. Uh, we made some good friends. They're going to be coming here, so if you missed it, some of you already said we wanted to come, but we couldn't. Uh, we're, the pastor of Orchard Park Church is going to come here and preach on the last uh, Sunday of April. We are going to be joining five other churches at First Baptist downtown. Now, First Baptist downtown is not First Baptist Chattanooga. Uh, it is First Baptist. That's what, how they refer to it. It's built, it was on 8th Street. It is on 8th Street. Uh, when it was first built, it was called First, Bab- first Colored Baptist Church. Uh, and so for natural reasons, they dropped part of that name. Uh, but we're going to be joining some white and black churches there. I was just sharing with a few people out in the hallway the pulpit that is there. In 1953, Martin Luther King Jr. came to Chattanooga in view of a call at First Baptist, First Colored Baptist Church. Uh, he didn't receive the vote. They unanimously chose somebody else, and he went to Montgomery, Alabama instead, which set in cycle a whole different set of events for Martin Luther King Jr.'s life. Uh, the pulpit there is the one he preached behind, and it is still there. Uh, we're going to be having service at 11 o'clock. It was suggested by one of the pastors. It has been commonly said that the most segregated hour in all of the United States of America is Sunday mornings at 11 a.m. So we're going to be there the last Sunday of April, two weeks after Easter, at 11 a.m., six churches, three white, three black, worshiping together, and it's going to be an incredible time together. So we want you to be there. You're going to have an opportunity. If you missed uh, joining us yesterday, we're in the long haul to see change come to our city. And the people that are a part of this are some of some just wonderful, wonderful folks, and I'm looking forward to that. Amen? Okay. All right. I'm glad you're awake. Okay. Genesis chapter six. We've been in chaos today. We are going to be moving towards rescue. Now, if this is your first time in this series, I need to kind of fill you in on a few things. One, Genesis one through 11 is a part of scripture that is a little bit different than all the rest of scripture. We're not positive when it was written. <coughs> We're not positive who wrote it. And there's actually a lot of disagreement about that. It is commonly attributed to Moses uh, that Moses wrote the Pentateuch. The Pentateuch are the first five books of the Old Testament. We know that Moses cannot have written all of the Pentateuch because his death is written about. Things that happened after his death are written about. And it's unlikely Moses wrote about those things unless Moses had some kind of life that the rest of us didn't have. All right. So we don't know when it was written, who it was written. It was written a little differently than the rest. And it is all pre-flood. So certainly this could have been passed down orally, which all of the Pentateuch was passed down orally until it began to be written down. But it's also possible that it's telling a bigger story. 
Now, it is not my intent to take away any of the legitimacy of a historically accurate uh, portrait of creation. However, it should not frighten us to say it may or may not be. Now, the reason that we struggle with this has to be literally historically accurate is because we read Scripture wrong today. We read Scripture based on a few verses. These verses have to be exactly correct, exactly the way I just read them. And yet nothing I've ever written is accurate throughout my entire life, right? But what we have to find is the story of God, God's work among us, is it correct and consistent through all of Scripture. And another reason we read it wrong is because very few people familiarize themselves with all of Scripture anymore. We have our favorites, right? Uh, if we're uh, spiritual, it's the Gospels. It's all about Jesus. We're going to read all about Jesus. But I will tell you, if you read about Jesus, but you do not read the Old Testament, you will miss much of what Jesus does while he is here. Some are all are fans of Paul. I'm a fan of Paul. Paul wrote most of the New Testament. He gives a lot of things you're supposed to do. Now, you better do this is what you're supposed to do. And, you know, he's pretty intense about it. Listen, I do it. This is how I live my life. I beat myself black and blue. And many of us would say, well, Paul, that's not really how we want to lead our lives. You know, I don't want to beat myself black and blue. But we go to Paul and we say, I like it because he just is black and white right there. This is what you need to do. We just need to do that. And what I'm trying to reveal to us today, whether this is historically accurate or not, that's immaterial to me. What is the consistent message we see through Scripture about God in these chapters? Now, we have seen a theme. And as I've shared before, this theme is continued throughout all of Scripture. In fact, we are still in a cycle of this theme. The theme is, can somebody tell me? It begins with what? Moves to? And then uncreation moves to? Recreation, we see that over and over again. Noah is a great example of this, but we've already seen a few examples. We've seen just in the creation itself, we've seen the chaos that entered in uncreation, and yet God provided for Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve had Cain and Abel. Cain kills Abel. There's uncreation, recreation. Uh, then they have another child. We see it throughout uh, the story of Noah and the flood, which is interestingly, every culture in the world has a story about the flood. So before we go to the place where we say this is not historically accurate, it's pretty significant that every culture and every history in the world has a story about the flood. Now, they may set, tell it a little differently, so we may disagree on exactly what happened around the flood, that's a pretty good indication that something happened with a whole lot of water at some point a long time ago. We can take that as, that's pretty good when everybody's telling the same story, or at least in some way they're telling the same story. We're going to find that the law coming in is a moment of, of new creation after uncreation of slavery. We're going to find that the history of God working among his people in the Old Testament is this constant up and down roller coaster of God working and bringing them to this place of them turning away from God, God uncreating them, turning back to God, God recreating amongst them and, re and restoring them. We see that over and over again. We see Jesus coming in being that full recreation. And yet Jesus even says, I'm going to leave, but I'll be back. And when I come back, we're going to create again. God is still creating. However, what we struggle with are not the moments of creation, 
They're the moments of uncreation. That's where we struggle because they're painful. And they hurt. And it doesn't feel like that if God was a good God, that these things would happen. I don't know that there is another story in all of Scripture that is as poignant in this regard as the story of Noah. Nor are there many places. There's only one other place I can think of in Scripture that is as defining and divisive among people with God's Word. The only other place beyond Noah that I can find that would be as divisive outside of just Jesus' radical claims to a world that didn't want to know him would be the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. Because it seems to paint a picture of an angry, mean God who if you don't toe the line, he is out to get you. And there's a lot of people that believe that. And there's a lot of churches that teach that. What we're going to do is try to figure out what's happening here. And I will be honest with you. I've got a question for you guys to work out together. And if you think it's going to be easy, it's not. All right, Genesis chapter 6, verse 5. This is kind of where we left off last week. And it says, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. That's significant. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth. And it, what's the word? Grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am. Boy, that is, that is a harsh, harsh word, isn't it? I am sorry that I have made them. Now raise your hands if you've ever said that to one of your kids. No, I'm just kidding. Don't raise your hand. <laughs> Don't raise your hands. I don't raise it. Yeah, they, my mom and dad said it about me just on the way over here today, actually. You know, no. Those are some harsh words. We read those as harsh words. But what do they mean? What is he really saying here? Is God saying, I'm mad at you. I'm going to do away with you. I'm going to destroy you. Is that what he's saying? See, that's how many people read it. But is that what he's saying? I, I want to I challenge you by reading this a little differently. In order for you to do that, you're going to have to let go of one central tenet, and that is that God never changes his mind. See, if you come into the telling of this story as in God planned all this, this is what God always wanted to happen, then you're going to read this a certain way. But if you begin to embrace the concept that God changes his mind, I will tell you it will not only change your reading of this passage, it will change your understanding of how God works in your life and works in the world and continues to do that today. Let's look at these, some of these words that he talks about. He says, it grieved him to his heart. He looks over everything that he has made. Now, what did he say after he created? It was what? Good. Everything was good. As we said before, even the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was good. It was all good. We were good. All of creation was good. All that God was doing was good. But then we come to Genesis chapter 6, just five chapters later. And he says, this is not good. Have you ever been in a point in your life when you look around your life and you say, this is not good. I have. We all come to a place in our life where we say this is not good. 
the grief that he talks about and the fact that God grieves. This is not just God saying this is not good. This is God saying this is not what I wanted. This is not what I intended for you. This is not what was in the plan. This is not what I was wanting to see happen within this good creation. He grieved. I want you to take that in, understanding this is not what he intended. Throughout our lives, we know how that feels. We cannot often put ourselves in God's position to understand how he feels. But there are many times that we get through life doing something, experiencing something that it is not what we intended. Something happens, something changes, something, an unintended consequence. Now, I do not in any way, for those of you who are already thinking this, I do not in any way want to take away the all-knowingness or the power or sovereignty of God in this moment. But this is not the point of what they're trying to say to us. What they're trying to say is for him, he's looking down and he's looking at us, not in anger, but in grief. He's looking at us in grief. We read, and he says, I am sorry I have made them. Interestingly, the Hebrew word here for sorry is nasham. The word nasham literally means deep regret, repentance, a change of mind is the literal meaning of this word for sorry, deep regret, change of mind, repentance. This would be the moment for us when we receive Jesus as our Savior because we come to a moment of sorrow in our lives and we look over the sin within our lives, the things that we do that is an affront to God, and we are sorry. This is one of the problems with heaven being the purpose of our salvation experience. Because heaven is a gift that does not require sorrow. I get to die and go to a place of perfection, and I don't have any more problems. Nothing goes wrong. I'm never sad. Sign me up! And a lot of people begin their faith journey without a moment of what God is experiencing here, and that is Nasham, sorrow. I'm sorry. I'm broken. I'm tarnished. Not what you meant. Did you know that this word is used 30 times in the Old Testament? And that 24 of them are used of God? 30 times this word for sorrow is used in the Old Testament. 24 of those is talking about God. Change of mind. Does that mess with your theology? That God can literally change his mind. Because I've heard that before. When I was a kid, I thought God can change his mind. Yeah, that's like a, that's like a joke. That's a play on word. God can't change his mind. I mean, God already knew. God already intended. God's just doing what God wants to do. What do you mean he changed his mind? God surely is more certain than that. That sounds like something I would do. I changed my mind. Not God. But yet in this moment, he's looking down and he's saying, I... I'm grieving. This is not what I intended. What this this brokenness, this evil. This is not what I intended. And I'm sorry. And I'm changing my mind. Verse 6 says that when it grieved him to his heart, this is the Hebrew word atzab. 
And it's, an, it's a picture, not just of grief, like sadness, like Chick-fil-A's closed today. You know, it's not that, right? Chick-fil-A's closed. So, huh? Some, some are indifferent to that. That's a lie. But Bojangles is no, no, no. Listen, I know you're supposed to talk back, but let's not talk about falsehoods in here. All right. Not Bojangles, not Popeyes. Come on. Come on. Listen. All right. Okay. We're getting off track. We're getting off track. So this grief is, is really talking more about anguish, pain, struggle. It's sometimes used of a woman giving birth in the Old Testament. This anguish, I want you to picture this just overwhelming full body anguish. Your body is in tremor, sweat pouring down from you in pain. This is God as he looks down at the brokenness on earth. This is the grief that he's experiencing as he looks down on earth. I see what's happening. Cain and Abel, we've already talked about the story. I see this plunge into chaos. I see the pain that you're going through. I see all the things that are happening within this creation in which it was so good. And I put the tree here because you need to exercise restraint. And you didn't exercise restraint. And this is what happens with the great promise of what I've created you with can be undone when you do not choose to restrain yourself and stay on the path of which I created you. And so I grieve and I look down and I'm in pain. This idea of full body into this anguish. I don't know that many people can really feel or experience that. Maybe those in the room who have given birth, maybe those who have lost a child, those who have lost someone that is dear to them, great trauma that you've experienced within your life. This is the picture and image of God as he looks down at this chaos. I, I am overcome with anguish over what you are going through. Now, is that the same picture of God is mad at us and is going to wipe us out? No, it's not. Gut-wrenching. Breathless. Crying out. This is God as he looks down on the creation. What I think we can take from this moment and from this place. That when we live apart from God's design for us. It does more than incite God's wrath. It breaks God's heart. You see when we go off into some tangent apart from what God intended for us. And gosh there's there's an unlimited number of those. We're not making God mad at us. Maybe he's angry because sin makes him angry. But, but instead, his heart is broken for us. It's broken for you. Sometimes when we stand up and say, listen, these are the things that are important to God. This is how you should live your life. When we don't do those things, it breaks his heart. When we dive into the things that are not healthy, it breaks his heart. I want you to picture not within your mind that God is just looking over you with a hammer ready to swat you in the moment that you mess up. But instead is a God who says, I've got more for you. And it just it breaks my heart to see you take this path. And this is one of the reasons that we often refer to God as father, because parents get this right. 
Healthy parents, not all parents, perhaps, but healthy ones do. I look at the path you're taking. I know where that goes. And our hearts are broken. And yet, just as God does, often for parents, we have to let them walk that path, don't we? Sometimes you've got to find that for yourself. But when we live apart from what God has designed us for, this is what happens. This is what happens. Also says that he experienced regret. He looks down at this creation, humanity, the crowning achievement of all that he had done. This is those that would share his image. Those that would manage all that God has made, that would help it to prosper and to grow, and they would go and fill the earth, and it would fill the earth with God's image. It would fill the earth with worship. It would fill the earth with community. It would fill the earth with love for one another. It would fill the earth with caring for each other's pains and hardships. would fill the earth with this sense of goodwill for each other and this walking consistently with God. This is what I had planned for them, and yet he regrets What has happened here? What was good is now no longer good. And God changes his mind. Now some of you are already praying right now in this moment. Thinking, well, if God changes his mind, I'm going to try to change his mind right now. I'm going to ask him to change his mind right now. This is good news for me. I don't need any more of the rest of this sermon. Hang on to the end. I don't, I don't trick you. He still changes his mind. But what does that really look like? There are times that I've experienced that within my life in which I know exactly what I'm doing until I don't. I know exactly what I'm working towards until it fails. I know wholeheartedly what my purpose is until I fail miserably. Anybody else have those experiences within life? Regret. Why did I do that? I wish I hadn't done that. I wish I had never even gone in that direction. We see this in what God is doing in this moment. But if we stop here, if this is the end of Scripture, then we have a picture of a God who is not loving, but a picture of a God who is incapable. That is not where this story ends. If we look at verse 7, this is something for you to go back and look at later. The Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens. Interestingly enough, go back and look at Genesis chapter 1 and you will find that God is going to uncreate in the exact reverse order in which he first created. Because we go back to look at at chapter 1 and what we find is that God creates the birds and then the creeping things and then the animals, and then man. It's this picture of this deliberate uncreation from where we are going backwards to where we were. It's really fascinating. Go back and look at that. We're going to see that again here in just a few minutes. He uncreates 
exactly in the reverse order. But. But. You see, the scripture doesn't end here. And in your moment of despair, and in your moment of mistake, and in your moment of regret, there is always a but. And that but, we find in verse 8, is favor. Now, some of you here today are living in the despair. You are living in a place of regret. You are grieving. You are sorry. And you need to be reminded there's a but. There is favor. All of this is favor. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. And we move from this moment of God's regret looking out over us, looking out over all that we have done, all of the mistakes that we have made, looking out and saying, this is not what I wanted. This is not what I intended. But Noah found favor in God's eyes. What would it look like right now for you to have favor in God's eyes? What would it look like to have favor? We probably all would come up with our own thing. You would fix this. You would change that. You would make this never have happened or whatever. We, we probably all have a picture of favor. But perhaps what we need to do as we look at this text is understand, well, what is the favor for? What is God wanting to do here? Because the way we read this text will often determine the way we see ourselves and our eyes before God. Because what many people will say is, what God wants to do is save mankind. But what if there's more going on here than just us? You see, there's nothing wrong with that. I like being the center of the story. I like being the one that God's rescuing over the animals and the creeping things and the fish and the earth and all those things. I I like being that person. I like walking in the room and people saying, you know what? I like Mark better than the rest of you. I like that. I don't know about you all. I like it. That's exactly how we read the scripture. Yeah, the birds, fish, you know, they're cute and all, but we are the image bearers of God. Is that what God is doing here? I want to shift your thinking and shift the way that you see this passage so that you're not just taking in that old reading that says, we are the center of creation. God's the apple of God's eye. We are the shining star in the heavens of creation. Maybe not. See, we like that. It makes us feel good. It makes us feel important. And that's something that we ourselves today in 2020 do not struggle with. We don't struggle with the thought that we are not important. We struggle with the thought that we are more important than everybody else. Don't we? I get it. That's why I go on Facebook. Because I'm going to help you get it. Right? Because I got it. And you don't. Clearly. Clearly, when we look at the world and we look at the way God should work, and even within our prayer lives, how much of our prayer lives are about our lives? How many things are you regularly praying? Thank you. Praying for. I haven't had anything. I haven't had anything this morning. So it's just my tongue not working. What are the things that you're praying for on a regular basis, day in and day out, that does not include you? If I'm honest, if we're honest, and we were to come up here and we had a whiteboard and we were to write down, these are all the things I'm praying for right now, how many of them are about you? And how many of them are about someone else? Probably most of us would, the list would be pretty slim for anybody other than ourselves. 
See, we don't struggle with feeling unimportant. We struggle with feeling too important. Now, this does not mean we're not important in this story. But if we put ourselves in the place of supreme importance, then we no longer are reading this the way the Hebrews read it. We're no longer reading this the way God intended us to read it. Because the idea that we are more important than anyone or anything else is foreign to God. And we see this especially with the disciples, the sons of thunder, James and John, standing before Jesus with this wonderful question that none of us would ask, but every one of us would think about. Hey, which one of us gets to sit next to you in heaven? You remember that? You guys don't get it, is what Jesus says. That's not the way it works. We've always struggled with a sense of over-self-importance. And we often read this. The reason this feels so unfair is because God is doing this to us. Does he not know who we are? Why is God doing this? This is where the picture of an angry God comes from. It's not fair. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Where does that lead us? It leads us to rescue. Whenever Noah enters the picture, the story changes. Instead of everything's going to end, a total story of destruction, God is going to wipe everything out. Now all of a sudden what we see here is a story of hope. Noah is often associated with Christ because Noah is the figure of salvation to a peoples as Jesus is salvation to all peoples. The story changes. It's no longer about destruction of the world, but about a rescue from a world of destruction. This is the story of Noah. See, the backdrop of uncreation has to happen for the recreation to begin. But the story is not about the uncreation. The story is about the recreation. So your moment of uncreation within your life, that chaos that you feel because something's not going right, that is not the story. That may be the environment. That is not the story. The story is the recreation. What is God wanting to do? Where is he wanting you to return to? How is he wanting to bring healing? How is he wanting to change you and put you back on the path for which he created you? It's not about the destruction of the world, but about rescuing us from that world of destruction. Let's look at Genesis chapter 6, verse 11. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight. The earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth and behold, it was corrupt. For all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh. For the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how you are to make it. The length of the ark is 300 cubits. Its breadth is 50 cubits. Its height, 30 cubits. I, I highly encourage you with a grain of salt to visit the Ark Encounter. If you're not familiar with the Ark Encounter, it's where they have recreated the Ark to the best of their imagination's ability to do this. And I'll tell you, when you walk up on it, it is awesome, awe-inspiring. It is massive. It is incredible. I say a grain of salt because there's a whole lot of conjecture in how they did everything else. 
But you cannot help but walk up and go, wow. (laughs) They made it specifically to these measurements to give a sense of scope and scale. They take a lot of liberty with how he could have worked it all out. But it is pretty incredible if you have a chance to go and see it. I think they said now kids get to go free. If you'd like to go take that road trip. Verse 16 says, make a roof for the ark. Finish it to a cubit above and set the door on the ark in its side. Make it with lower second and third decks. For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh. In which is the breath of life. You remember where we've heard that before? This is the creation of us. I'm withdrawing my breath. The breath of life will be silenced from the earth. Everything that is on the earth shall die. But I will establish my covenant with you. You shall come into the ark. You, your sons, your wife, your sons' wives with you. And of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female of the birds according to their kind, of the animals according to their kinds, every creeping thing on the ground according to its kind. Two of every sort shall come in to you to keep them alive. Also take with you every sort of food that is eaten and store it up. It shall serve as food for you and for them. Noah did this, and he did all that God commanded him. We see yet another pattern here, don't we? Of who is going to be saved. Do we not? And it again. Follows the order. Of creation. So we have to look more deeply. At the story of Noah. Than simply God got mad. Wiped it all out. Noah was lucky. He was a nice enough guy. And then we got to start over again. That was really nice of Noah. To be that nice of a guy for us. That puts all of the pressure on Noah. And none of the responsibility for this on God. I mean, God wiped out all the bad people, but thankfully for Noah. Because that's what we do. We do not have a problem with feeling important. We have a problem feeling like we're too important. And yet when we look at this, what we see of God doing here is not simply these are the pragmatic ways to sustain life and to give it a new home instead this is god recreating again just as he recreated or created before this is god changing his mind and now he is working in a new way because when god uncreates within your life he is planning to work in a new way in your life but i cannot imagine that this whole process for noah was not incredibly painful He was 600 years old for one. When I get to be 600 years old, I don't want any of this kind of drama. All right. I don't want this drama in my life. I want to be sitting down. I want to have a remote. Deidre can have her remote too, but I want us both sitting there. I want our our side table next to our chair to be a little mini fridge. So I didn't have to get up and go into the kitchen, right? This is what I want if I make 600 years old. You want me to go build a boat? Come on. Are you serious? See, the point is still not Noah. 
The point is God here. This is still the point. Here's where I'm going I'm to leave this with you for just a few minutes. In regret, God sees one thing worth rescue. Okay? Here's your question for today. If this is your first time with us, uh, we take some time to talk amongst ourselves, and then I ask you to talk back to me. So that's, this is what we're going to do. This is your question for today. What is God rescuing? Okay? Now, it may be the most obvious answer, and it may not. That's all I'll tell you. Get together with three or four or five people that are next to you, and I want you to come up with some possibilities. What is God rescuing here? Okay? Go ahead.
All right, start, start wrapping up your answers. Stop Googling. <laughs> Don't Google. Do your own work. Show your own work. <laughs> All right. Who's going to take a stab at it? I was going to say, okay, I was going to say, I've set it up where nobody's going to want to take a stab at it, I know. All right, go ahead. Humanity, okay. All right, how many would say, yep, that's it? Okay, lots. That is our, that is our traditional reading of this passage. Part of it. I would agree with you there. Part of it, absolutely. What else? Mark? Righteousness, Okay. All right, what else we got? All right, on the back. He's not rescuing anything. Well, that's a nihilist kind of way of thinking. Good, listen, you need to stay after today. You and I need to have a talk, all right? We're just all dead. It's all dead, isn't it? Just do away with it. Wayne? Creation, okay. The world? The world, okay, creation, the world. Good. I like it. I like where this is going. That is, I believe so. Unless I'm missing something, I believe you're right. He's making a covenant. We'll get to that in a couple of weeks. Yeah. You're, yes, you're two weeks ahead, Don. Way to go. Overachiever up here on the front row. All right. What we got over here? There were some hands over here. Okay. Halting. Where free will is taking humanity. Okay. Interesting. Okay. Okay. Interesting. Ooh, listen to that. Hey. Extra credit right here. That's good. That's good. He, he's creating a new lineage from which would come Jesus. And he can't do that unless he does away with all other lineages. That's very good. Ooh, I like, I'm going to put that in my notes and take credit for that. That was really good. No, just Aaron. Just, just Aaron has to stay after. He's the only one that gave clearly the wrong answer. Um, <laughs> oh, if y'all don't know Aaron, he knows I'm playing with him. And he can, he's a big boy. He can take it. All right. Um, literally he's a big boy. I wouldn't mess with him, but, um, yeah, the question of what is God rescuing? The traditional reading is humanity. And as I've kind of set it up, up to now, I believe that's only a partial answer. And what that reading can do to us is make us too important in all of this. And because here's what happens when we become the center of God's story. When we become the center of God's story, we begin to believe that God owes us. 
Okay? Hey, you know, I, I'm sure I said to my parents, and I'm sure my kids at some time have said to me, hey, you made me, you know, as, as if it's my fault for what they did or my parents' fault for what I, hey, you made me. You know, we, we tend to read that way. And I will tell you that mindset, while funny, will wreck your worship life. Because now God has to share the place of sovereignty with you. He may have given it to you, but he's got to share it with you. That's why so many of our prayer lists are mostly ourselves and not others. That's why we often come thinking about ourselves and not others. Because we have this inflated self of importance. But what is God rescuing? I think we see a glimpse of this in this consistent pattern of creation that is created, uncreated, saved, and recreated again. We see God creating in a specific order in chapter 1. And, and those of you who are paying attention will know that chapter 2 has a different order than chapter 1. That's why many people believe chapter 2 was written by somebody different than chapter 1. And yet chapter 1 is consistent with the rest of the Genesis account. Chapter 2 is often pulled out as an aside. And the way we manage that in exegetical preaching is we just focus on the creation of Adam and Eve in those passages, not on the order of creation being different. Okay? But we see this consistent move. Again, is this history? Maybe. Is this something more? Maybe. God created in a specific order. God uncreated in a specific order. God created them or instructed Noah to save them in a specific order order. God is rescuing, but God is rescuing what he initially created, not just us. I love the world. I love creation. All the other things that you all have said are pushing to the central idea that I hoped it would. And that is God was creating. We're a benefit, but God was rescuing his creation. You know, scripture says that we're not the only people that needed a savior. Did you know that? Even The earth is crying out for a savior. There's something more holistic here. I shared with you last week, the week before, uh, Rob Bell is someone who I will read. I disagree with him on lots of things, but I like a lot of things he does too. He probably would say the same about me. He may not say he agrees with me on anything because he has no idea who I am. But I love when he talks about everything being spiritual. Everything is spiritual. If you came here today thinking there is God and then all the rest of this stuff, you don't see the big picture. I got my car, I got my job, I got my house, I got my bed, I got my chair, I got my TV, I got all these things, and then and I got God over here. Okay, that is not a cohesive reading of Scripture. Everything was spiritual because before God created what existed. Nothing. And what did everything come out of that was created? God. See, everything is spiritual. Now, I don't want to take it too far like these chairs when you all leave, rise up with wings like angels and being praising God in here during the week. I don't want to go in some crazy direction like that, but it, it could. Everything is spiritual. Scripture also says if we won't worship him, who will? Rocks will cry out. 
I want you to leave today expanding your idea of what God is doing in your life. And yet, what you are going to struggle with is to have laser focus on the issues that are important to you, and yet God's issues are more important, and they're probably not yours. He may be uncreating in your life right now. But he's working towards recreation. There's a purpose for it. He's got a plan for it. We jump to Genesis chapter 7. I've got to, I've got to run through this. The Lord said to Noah, go into the ark, you all your household, for I have seen that you are righteous before men in the generation. Take with you seven pairs of all clean animals, the male and female, a pair of the animals that are not clean, interesting, clean and unclean animals. We want them all there. They all have a purpose. The male and his mate, seven pairs of birds, the heavens also, male and female, keep their offspring alive on the face of all the earth. For in seven days I will send rain on the earth, forty days and forty nights, and every living thing that I have made I will blot out from the face of the ground. And Noah did all that the Lord had commanded him. Noah was six hundred years old when the floodwaters came upon the earth, and Noah and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with them went into the ark to escape the waters of the flood, of clean animals and of animals that are not clean, and of birds and of everything that creeps on the ground. Two and two, male and female, went into the ark with Noah as God had commanded Noah. And after seven days, the waters of the flood came upon the earth. This is where we move to starting again. God is starting again. Does anyone in here need to be able to start again? You ever have that? You know what I miss being in school? Like, I don't miss a lot. I'm not going to lie. I don't miss a lot about being in school. But you know what I miss? I miss living life by semesters. Because every semester is a fresh start, isn't it? Like you become an adult and it's like, when's a fresh start when you die? That <laughs> stinks, you know, <laughs> right? Like, can I have some, a, a somewhere in between? All right, I, I love that pattern of fresh starts, and I think it's important in school. You know, we we often have these pushes for year-round school, and while there's a piece of me it's like, yeah, I mean, what are, about twenty-four hour school, seven days a week? That's not a bad idea. I mean, somebody ought to market that. But what we need is not for us to just nonstop all the time. We need times to have fresh starts. That's part of the purpose of the Sabbath, and why we need a Sabbath. You know, the word recreation. Do you know what that means? To recreate. We need it. We need to recreate regularly. It's not just to go have a good time, but sometimes we got to stop so we can start again. This is what God is doing. He is starting again. If you're one of those people that needs a fresh start right now, listen, he is still creating fresh starts. Genesis Chapter 7, verse 11. In the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day of the month, on that day of the fountains of the great deep burst forth. Now, pay attention to what's happening here. Now, we just had some rain this last week, right? But it's nothing compared to what happened back here. All right? Pay attention what's happening. Now, I want to, extra credit, our extra credit people, it's just you, David, now. So you get a lot of pressure on you. Uh, Extra credit. Up until now... What's happening up in the skies? Anybody remember? Until this moment. God has created a firmament and he has separated the what? Waters. Okay? You want to keep that in mind. Okay? The great deep 
burst forth. The windows of the heavens were opened. And the rain fell upon the earth 40 days and 40 nights. Is this not a picture of when things go wrong in life? Man, I got stuff coming up from the deep. I got stuff coming down from the windows of heaven. I got stuff coming from the left and the right. It just, does, does that not how hardship hits us? It's not like, oh, there's a little shower over there. It's like all of a sudden it's everywhere. One bad thing turns into two bad things, turns into three bad things. We get overwhelmed because sometimes the deluge still comes within our life and we don't know how to handle it. And they do still come. This is the picture that we have. Water's literally coming from everywhere. Now, those who, we, I, was, I was chatting with some folks earlier today, those who really love to get into the science of things, which I think is fantastic, when they get into the science of things, they're talking about this firmament that lets go and it drops down. Is this why people live longer? Maybe. I don't know. I'm not real concerned about it. But I do think it's interesting of what God has created. Now he is uncreated and he is doing something new. Rain fell upon the earth 40 days and 40 nights. On the very same day, Noah and his sons, Shem, Ham, Japheth, and Noah's wife, and their three wives of his sons, with them entered the ark. They, had, they and every beast according to its kind, all the livestock according to their kind, every creeping thing that creeps on the earth according to its kind, every bird according to its kind. We're back to Genesis 1 here. Okay? Keep that in mind. They went into the ark with Noah, two and two of all flesh, in which there was a breath of life. And those that entered male and female of all flesh went in as God had commanded him, and the Lord shut him in. The flood continued 40 days on the earth. The waters increased, bore up the ark, and it rose high above the earth. The waters prevailed and increased greatly on the earth, and the ark floated on the, on the face of the waters. The waters prevailed so mightily on the earth that all high mountains under the whole heaven were covered. The waters prevailed above the mountains, covering them 15 cubits deep, and all flesh died. That moved on the earth, birds, livestock, beasts, swarming creatures that swarm on the earth, and all mankind. Everything on dry land in those nostrils was the breath of life died. He blotted out every living thing that was on the face of the ground, man and animals, creeping things, birds of the heavens. They were blotted out from the earth. Only Noah was left and those who were with him in the ark, and the waters prevailed on the earth 150 days. When things go wrong in your life, they often come just like the floodwaters came. How do we respond to those floodwaters? And we can jump ahead. Don jumped ahead, so I guess we can jump ahead too. There is a covenant. The rainbow is coming. We know that. They do not yet. God is still there in the midst of the deluge. When everything is going wrong. And this is the hard truth that we have to put aside our self-importance and recognizing this is still all about God and what God is creating. Sometimes something has to end before something can start again. Some of you today need to leave knowing this. Sometimes something in your life needs to end for God to be able to do what he's about to do next. And you will thrash against the ending and yet it has to end before God can do something new. I don't like that. Any more than you do. Sometimes a job has to end. 
a job you needed and wanted. But God has something else that he's doing. Sometimes a relationship has to end. Maybe you want that relationship to end. Maybe you don't want that relationship to end, but maybe it needs to end for God to do something new. Sometimes this is how we need to view our faith in Christ. A life has to end before a life can begin with Christ. This is why we baptize. We symbolize that very reality. I'm dying to my old self. I'm a new creation now. This is exactly what baptism is about. Sometimes it's about unhealthy things that we're doing and putting in our bodies. And we need to stop. I've told the story before. My grandparents, boy, they smoked. And they, I mean, filters. Real, real people don't smoke with filters in their cigarettes. They didn't have filters, right? I, we, I would literally sit in their house when I was a kid, and I would look out their sliding glass door, and it was like there was a whole atmosphere in there, just levels of clouds all the way from the ceiling to the floor. And... Newsflash, that stuff will kill you. Um, Newsflash. My grandfather decided one day he was going to stop, and he just took his last cigarette, never had another one. Do you want another cigarette? Not really. What? Because that's not the way I hear it happens for most people. They got the gun, they got the patch, they got the little pack that nobody knows about in the side. Sometimes something has to end, and it's painful for something better to come. Maybe you're on a career path you don't like and you don't know that you want to take the next step to your, that next career path and yet something's got to end for something new to come. And that moment of uncreation is going to be painful. But God is still giving you favor. There are many things in my life that I attribute in this part of my understanding of God. Things I always wanted to happen that I'm pretty sure not going to happen now. Pretty sure. Goals I had early in life, eh, I'm not going to make those goals. And that doesn't feel good (laughs) at all. I go to the gym. I mean, I'm a pretty stout guy, but not like I used to be. I've met a guy who's working with churches in town, and he's, I mean, I don't know how else to describe it. He's a stud, like... And I don't mean that in a weird way. I know that just sounded weird, but he's a stud. Like he, I tell him, he lifts the men weights. I lift the baby weights. You know, he like comes in, he's just, you know, he is actually bulging in all the right places compared to some of us that bulge in all the wrong places, right? And, <clears throat> and things, you know, don't work the way they used to. I don't like it. I don't like it one bit. See, what many of us do, those of us who are in the second half of life, we regret that we're losing the first half of our lives. If you all were with us yesterday, I talked about the false and the true self, and I talked about Thomas Merton and uh, Richard Rohr, and one of the things that we I've, I mentioned here and there, but we need to just spend some time talking about it, are the two halves of life. The two halves of life are this. First half, you're trying to make it. You're young. Everybody has the first half of life. First half of life, I've got all these goals. Uh, you're my competition. I want to get it before you do because we can't both have it. So I want to get it. I'm focused on me, focused on what I want, focused on what I'm going after. First half of life is marked by competitiveness with others. Second half of life, not everybody makes it to the second half of life. 
Richard War says this about the second half of life. Second half of life, you come to grips with life. Now, this began with me back, oh, about six or seven years ago when I stopped shopping at PacSun. And if you're thinking, that seems like that's a little late to be stopping doing that, you would be correct. And I realized I'm not really, I I walked in to buy a pair of jeans once. And the girl that was working there was 12. I don't know how she got it past the labor laws, but she was 12. And she said, oh, are you trying to buy some jeans for your son? Yeah, that is what I'm doing here. He wears what I wear, actually. And through the last few years, I've had to come to the place of recognizing I'm not going to always accomplish what I had hoped to accomplish in my life. Some of you in here know what that's like. Some of you will find out what that's like. It will come. Richard Worth says it's about the second half of life. Second half of life is when you become centered. It's when you take life, comes and it goes. God's here. I'm with him. He's got it under control. You get yours. I'm going to get mine. Everybody's going to get what they need. In the end, we are going to get God. If we know him, what else do we need? Second half of life is not marked by competitiveness. The second half of life is marked by completeness. And the most chilling thing he'll say about this is that not everyone will make it to the second half of life. So I want to encourage you. That should be a goal that you can reach to reach that second half of life. Sometimes something has to end before something can start again. This is what I'm going to leave you with today. Just to wrap this up. Now, next week we're going to move on from here. We're still going to be in Noah's story, but we've got to move to a little different facet of Noah's story next week. Uh, right now, he's in the boat. He's, he's just kind of floating around. He doesn't have big mercury engines on the back pushing it where he wants it to go. I mean, he's just floating. Here's what I want to leave you with as you walk out of here to consider this week. What God creates is good. When God uncreates, when God recreates, what God recreates is good. When God creates, it is good. What we see throughout humanity up until this moment is that when we walk away from God's design for our lives, God rescues. Excuse me, chaos comes. No, that's not, that's not, he does rescue. Chaos comes, and when we walk away from God's design for our lives, God rescues. So this is a compelling, important part of our faith to recognize that chaos is coming. And God is still rescuing. Now, what is he rescuing us for? See, many of us would say, well, God, I want you to rescue me to the design that I had for my life. That's not how he rescues. He rescues back to his design for our lives. I'll leave you with this question. What fresh start do you need today? I don't know what it is within a relationship, within your work, within yourself, within your faith. What fresh start do you need today? It begins by seeking God's original design for you. That's walking with him. Reflecting his image. Because you still bear his image. 
Another conversation we can have is managing the creation. That was our original job. We got a real we got a real problem with our theology on climate. I'll tell you. I, listen, I'm an equal opportunity offender. I can offend everybody at the same time. Rarely do I offend nobody. I can offend everybody. Listen, if you're wound up that we're going to drink through too many straws and we're going to end the world, I'm going to tell you something. That means you don't believe that the world will end when Jesus returns. You think we're going to preempt Jesus. Now, he may come because we, we drank through straws, which always amazes me because the cup that now we have paper straws we have to drink on that collapse are made of plastic. I think there's like 15 times more plastic in the cup than there was in the straw, right? Okay, I'm going off course. I'm going off course here. But equally, on the other side, we don't need to worry about the climate. That's no big deal. That was our first job. I mean, that was literally our job. All right? Y'all manage this. Manage my creation. We've got, as authentic believers in Christ, to come to a place of theological accuracy when it comes to climate that is not alarmist and it is not exclusionary. We have got to come to a place where we understand what God wants and that we're in partnership with Him, not what we want. I also find it amazing that you can buy a bottle of water made out of a huge, with a huge container of, pl- anyway, that's, okay. <clears throat> we'll, come, we'll come back to this another time. This is a good way to end a sermon, by the way. I just want you to know, offend as many people as you can at the end of a sermon. It's a good sermon that way. Y'all come back. We're really not this bad. I'm really serious about this, though. I joke, but I'm really serious about this. We have to have theological uh, conviction, and we have to have theological completeness, and we have to have theological consistency. We cannot cherry-pick what we believe because it's inconvenient, and that's what we do in the American church, and that's why the American church is in trouble. All right. That, see, it was worth... <laughs> It was worth the entrance fee to be here today just for that right there. But I fully believe it. And I believe this is why. Listen, now I'm on a roll. Listen, we got lunch. You didn't have to go anywhere. I got another hour for you now. Listen. (laughs) This is why we're doing the race stuff. Right? And it's not because so we'll be woke. Because that's the dumbest phrase ever. It's not even good grammar. It's because God said, you need to love everybody. And how can we do that and say, you know what? Why don't you, I need you to be off in the corner that have no effect on my life because you look different than me. We can't, be, can't live that way. That's why we're working with churches partnering together. It's not because we're bored. We don't have anything to do. It's because Jesus said, if you're going to show people you're my disciples, you've got to love each other. You're one body, one church. Oh, no, uh, no, we're a non-denominational church. I mean, that's the best one. We're not affiliated with anybody, right? We've got to have theological conviction. We've got to have theolog- theological completeness. We've got to have theological consistency. And this is where we will be growing till we die. This is not how I intended to end today. This is how I intended to end today. That's all good. You need to take that with you and consider it. What fresh start do you need today? It begins by seeking God's original design for you. Father.
I find few things as difficult as trying to picture what you originally designed me for. I am a wrapped up bundle of wants and desires, goals and hopes, and a whole bunch of those are not rooted one way in you. But God, I know that you are still working to bring me to that place for which you created me. And you're doing that for every person in this room, every person who's watching on, on video somewhere. And so, Father, I pray that we would be a people that can be restored to what you created us to be. I pray for those in this room, and they are going through a horrendous moment of uncreation. And they are raging against the uncreation, just as you raged against what had become of your good creation here on earth. Some of us are grieving. Some of us are feeling sorrow. Some of us are feeling regret. And yet you changed your mind and said, I will start again. And you're still doing that. I pray for us in this room, no matter what our history, no matter what our background, no matter what pains we've experienced, no matter what pains we're in right now, we would experience your rescue. Restore us to what you intended. Even if we would not restore ourselves to that, if given the choice. Restore us to what you intended. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.